I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1 will be our text this Lord's Day as we are now at the point in God's Word where we see King David is old and he is dying. The Lord's made clear uh, that he has promised David that Solomon, his son with Bathsheba, would reign on the throne. And yet that promise seems to be in jeopardy because King David's eldest living son, Adonijah, has declared himself to be king. He does this in a way that uh, David doesn't know about it. Those closest to David don't know about it. But as word gets to them, uh, they bring this word to David. And so we looked last Lord's Day and how Nathan and Bathsheba went to David. They tell him uh, about this news that Adonijah has declared himself to be king. And where we left off last Lord's Day was David hears this but reiterates his promise uh, that Solomon indeed will sit on the throne, that he will reign. He makes that commitment and now we will see today how he follows through on that commitment. And so we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 32 through 53. And now that you are comfortably seated, I'm going to invite you to stand once again, if you're able to, out of reverence for God's Word. We, we stand because this is the Holy Word of God, handed down to us through generations. And this is what God's Word says. King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon my son on my, ride on my mule, and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord the king, say so. As the Lord has been with my Lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on the king's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. They blew the trumpet and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished feasting. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, What does this uproar in the city mean? While he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, came and Adonijah said, Come in, for you are a worthy man, and bring good news. Jonathan answered Adonijah, No, for our Lord King David has made Solomon king. And the king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, 
and the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And they had him ride on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. And they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Solomon sits on the royal throne. Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours, and make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. The king also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, and my own eyes seeing it. Then all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose, and each went his own way. And Adonijah feared Solomon. So he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Then it was told Solomon, Behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon. For behold, he has laid hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, not one of the hairs of his head shall fall on the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and paid homage to King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, Go to your house. If you would, pray with me. Father, again, we come to an ancient word about ancient times and an ancient practice. And yet, Lord, these words that you have preserved, that you had written down, that we might learn from them today, be encouraged by them today, these words are relevant to us. Help us to see how. And help us to see and savor the gospel of Jesus today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I would imagine all of us in this room at one time or another have seen political ads. We've seen candidates running for office who on their ads make all kinds of commitments and all types of promises. If elected, I will do this. I make a promise to do this. I pledge to you that I will do this. And then our responsibility as voters is to discern whether we believe they're going to do the things they say they're going to do or not. And it seems that many of us don't believe at least all of what they say. One study I read a number of years ago stated that 83% of likely voters do not believe that most politicians will keep the promises they make on the campaign trail. And most of us think that way because we've, we've seen this and how it works out. We, we've seen politicians, leaders, people in authority, we, we've seen them make pledges and promises and commitments only to then turn on those pledges, promises, and commitments. Only then to fail to meet the word and keep the word that they gave us. As we come to this point in 1 Kings chapter 1, the, the question on the minds of those closest to David are, will the king keep his word? The, the king had given a word. He had given it 
to Bathsheba. He had given it to Nathan, to those closest to him, that Solomon would reign as king, that he would be the next king over Israel. But now that, that plan, that promise has been threatened. His son Adonijah has claimed the throne. And so when this news is brought to him, David is quick to reiterate the promise that he made. He's quick to say, no, Solomon indeed will sit on the throne. The question is, will he keep his promise? And the answer that we see before us today is absolutely he will. And we see these events unfold. And as we see them unfold, we, we learn a thing or two, I believe, that point us to the gospel of Jesus. So let's begin our walk through today's passage with the first Point there in your outline. Number one, we see the rightful king is exalted. The rightful king is exalted. So David keeps his promise and he now is going to make sure Solomon is the one who sits on his throne, not Adonijah. And so he gives to those around him a, a plan to be followed. He calls on uh, Zadok the priest. Now, Zadok, you may recall, was one of the, the key people in David's cabinet who were kept in the dark by Adonijah. When Adonijah uh, exalted himself, glorified himself, declared himself to be king, he, he kept those closest to David in the dark. But they weren't just the people closest to David. They were the people that the Lord had anointed to serve in these offices. And so what we find in Zadok is that he was Israel's true high priest. He was a man directly descended from Aaron, the first high priest of Israel. And so it's fitting then that while Adonijah and his coup and his scheme, he had kept Zadok in the dark. It, it's very clear to us why David then would invite Zadok in. He, he's the Lord's chosen priest. He should be the one to anoint the Lord's rightful king. Not just him, but we see Nathan the prophet, who, much like Zadok, was, was kept away by Adonijah, but invited in by King David. And so the, the picture we have here is that David is making sure that the, the rightful priest and the rightful prophet are the ones who anoint Solomon, because Solomon is the rightful king. And so he gives orders concerning Solomon. You'll notice here that he orders Solomon to be placed on the king's mule. Solomon was be, to be placed on, on David's own personal mule. And this, this mule was significant. It signified royalty. It was a mule that when the people saw it, they would know that this is the king's mule. Therefore, whoever sits on the king's mule, that this is the king. And you might think of it this way. I've had two different instances over the years where I happened to be at an airport the same time that Air Force One was at an airport. And if you've ever been in an airport when Air Force One is, is landing or taking off, you know what happens. Everything stops. Everything shuts down. They're not letting other planes land and other planes, planes take off. It all stops. Why? Because Air Force One is there and, and the way is paved and cleared for Air Force One. Why? Because Air Force One carries the President of the United States. And so when people see Air Force One, they understand that plane carries the President. Well, in the same way, when people would see this particular mule, they would know, this mule carries the king. 
And so when David orders Solomon to be placed on this mule, that this wasn't just a, a means to take him into the city to be anointed king. This in and of itself was a declaration that he was the rightful king. He orders those around him to anoint Solomon, to declare him king, to blow the trumpet and let the people know, long live King Solomon. And then he orders Solomon to go and to sit on the royal throne. And then notice in verse 40 here how the people respond. And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. I mean, imagine the significance of this celebration, that the earth literally shook. You might read that and think that's a bit sensationalized, but I'll remind you, this is what happens when people gather and celebrate. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I saw a headline that at a Garth Brooks concert at LSU, there were over 100,000 fans packed into a stadium, and during one particular song, people started stomping their feet on the ground in such a way, in such unison, that it registered as an earthquake. Now, that was on a piece of equipment. Imagine what it would have been at this coronation of Solomon for the people to be rejoicing and singing and celebrating so much that the ground literally was shaking. And why was it shaking? Because the people were embracing their king. David had kept his promise. Solomon will now sit on the throne. But you can imagine the scene. As the celebration's going on, as the earth is literally trembling, surely some of them are thinking to themselves, wait, what about Adonijah? Well, what about that, that self-exalting, self-exalting, self-glorifying son of David who who just moments earlier was declaring himself to be king. What's going on at his celebration right now? Well, that brings us to the second thing we see in our text today, point two in your outline. A self-exalting king is humbled. A self-exalting king is humbled. Now, now remember what was taking place with Adonijah. We read about it back in verse 25. Uh, The report that came to David via Nathan was this. For Adonijah has gone down this day and has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance. And has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, Abiathar the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him and saying, Long live King Adonijah. Now the news that had come to David was, David, you need to understand... Adonijah hasn't just declared himself to be king. He's having a party. He's celebrating his reign and his rule. He he has declared himself to be king. And people are embracing this. They've gathered with him. They're they're feasting with him. They're they're celebrating with him. And so you, you can just picture, if you were somehow able to kind of zoom out above this city... You've got this enormous celebration going on now in regards to Solomon. The earth is literally shaking. And then you can zoom into this one little area of the city where Adonijah still gathered with those who were celebrating him. 
They're still having this party. The scripture says they're still feasting. And now as the feast is just about over, they feel the ground shake. <laughs> they, they hear some noise. They were the ones making the noise. Now they, they hear noise at a distance. And they begin to ask themselves, well, wait, wait a second. The party's here. The celebration's here. Well, what's going on out there? Scripture tells us it's Joab that asked this question. And as he asks it, Abiathar's son, Jonathan, comes along there into this celebration of Adonijah. And he begins to give them a report. He begins to detail for them everything that has taken place. He tells them all the, the details of how Solomon is the rightful king and how David has brought Solomon into the city riding on his mule and how he's had him declared to be king and now he's sitting on the throne. And then Jonathan gives this, this extra detail about King David's response to all this. He says, Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our Lord King David, saying... May your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours and make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. I mean, just picture that for a moment. This picture we have of David at this point is he, he, he is old. He's shivering. He can't even warm himself. It's a picture of, a, of an old bedridden David. Who's given this order, given this command. He still can't get out of the bed. But when news comes to him. That his son Solomon indeed has been anointed king. That the earth literally is shaking in celebration of this announcement. This old aging king. Is able to lift himself up enough to bow himself in the bed. To pay homage to his son Solomon. And then Jonathan says, the king says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day. And my own eyes seeing it. You can imagine how those words would have cut like a knife when Adonijah heard them. That this news of his aging father who was declared his younger brother Solomon to be king over him. And not only that, but it's made this statement that God has granted someone to sit on my throne. And in this moment, we see Adonijah, who had exalted himself and glorified himself. We see him brought down a few notches, don't we? We see here how God humbles him. In one moment, he's the life of the party. and the next moment... The party is over. One moment people are hailing him as king. The next moment he's worried whether he's going to live to make it through the day. God takes this proud man and he humbles him. And in that there's a lesson for all of us. You may recall Jesus' words as recorded in Matthew's gospel chapter 23 verse 12 where Christ says... Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James says it this way in James 4 verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 
Now, I realize we, we may be hearing this this morning. We may have read this earlier in the week. You may look at this and not identify yourself with Adonijah in any way. You may think, well, that, that, that's not me. I, I don't claim that I'm the king. I don't, I don't order people to worship me. I don't exalt myself and glorify myself like this. How, how can this be a picture of something that you and I might struggle with? Well, friends, you need to consider that the same temptation that Adonijah had to exalt himself, to glorify himself, is the same temptation we have. It just works itself out in different ways. That this pride, this self-exaltation, it happens every time that we choose our way over God's way. It happens every time that we look to the Word of God, we see what God says to us and commands of us, and we say to our Creator God who made us, we say to Him, we know better. We're going to choose our way over His way. And friends, when we do that, we, we are declaring ourselves to be king of our life. We are not submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you better believe we struggle in that area. You better believe as you look at it, the world today, you see millions, you see billions of people sitting themselves on thrones. People who declare, I know better. I will go my way. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is what I want. I want. This is how I feel. This can't be wrong because this is who I truly am. With all of those statements, we are declaring ourselves to be king and to be sovereign. We need to consider Jesus' words here. Whoever exalts himself in this way, he'll be humbled. And so we are called to humble ourselves before the Lord that he might exalt us. God tells us who he has created us to be. And he gives us commands to follow. But our gravitational pull is to rebel against that. God tells us this in Isaiah 53. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. I don't have sheep. But I have a sheep-a-doodle. My sheep-a-doodle is named Augie. And Augie is the world's greatest dog until he's not. And I will go out in the yard with Augie. And for the most part, Augie will follow me around. And he's all good. But if his nose catches a whiff of whatever varmint has walked through the yard hours before, he will lock on to that and he will just follow it. And he'll just keep going. And I can tell you story after story after story where he's gone and gone and gone. And I'll yell at him, Augie, come back here. And he'll turn to me. And I think that dog smiles at me. You know what he does? He just keeps going the other way. I don't have sheep. But I've learned something from my sheep-a-doodle. And what I've learned is that I do that exact same thing. 
I am distracted, I am tempted, something is the focus of my attention that, that draws me the wrong direction, and I start to go towards it, and, and I know what the Word of God says. You know what the Word of God says. And God in His grace, He, he calls out to us, Stop! Turn around and come back. And what do we so often do? We'll give a grin, we'll give a nod, but we just keep going away. Further and further. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. But God is so gracious with us. And he's so kind towards us. And, and in his grace, he, he comes after us. And he pursues us. And he continues to call out to us. Even in our most rebellious day, even when we've sinned upon sin upon sin, God still pursues us. And he calls us and, and he invites us to come to him. He invites us to pledge our allegiance to his rightful king to the Lord's anointed to Jesus the question is will we hear that word and respond to that call that brings us to the third and final point we see here point three we see how the people respond to the Lord's anointed king how the people respond to the Lord's anointed king and so back to first Kings 1 we see here that that the rightful king has been anointed that Solomon is now seated, seated on the throne. He's sitting on the throne. And, and the question then is, well, how are the people going to respond to this? And we've already seen how most of them have responded. I mean, they've celebrated. It is bigger than a Garth Brooks concert, that the ground is shaking, and they're so excited. This, this is the rightful king. God's word is true. He has kept his promise. The line from David continues. Then we zoom back in on this, this party of Adonijah. The question is, how, how are they going to respond? Well, verse 49 tells us, Then all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose, and each went his own way. I mean, just like that, the party's over. And they disperse. Now, what we really don't know from the context of chapter 1, where they all go, I think chances are some of them went from one party to the next. <laughs> that they realized, they, they recognized, well, wait a second, we, we were duped. That this wasn't the true king, that's the true king. We're going to celebrate him because he's the Lord's anointed. He's the rightful one. And perhaps others, they, they weren't so sure of that, that they just went home. Well, what becomes evident and clear here is that every one of them wanted to distance themselves from Adonijah. They didn't want to be associated with him. Why? Well, because now they all recognize what's going to take place. I mean, this was the concern that Bathsheba had when Adonijah had declared himself to be king. She was worried about her life and Solomon's life because she understood who, whoever the true king is, he's going to eliminate threats to his throne. And now Solomon is the king and Adonijah is thinking like Adonijah and Adonijah is probably thinking, well, I was going to get rid of him. So surely he's going to get rid of me. And so we see this is definitely on his mind because look at verse 50. 
And Adonijah feared Solomon. So he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. And we've seen in our studies throughout the Old Testament the description of the tabernacle, the temple, and these, these horns of the altar would have been protrusions from the four corners of the top of the altar where the blood of sacrifices was poured out. That they would have signified the, the atonement for man's sin. And while it was not prescribed in the word of God to God's people, it seems that, that a practice developed over time when, when people would go to the altar and they would literally grasp onto those horns. It, it was a way of pleading for mercy from those who might come against them, from those they had wronged. It was significant because it was symbolic to say to everyone in that city, I am pleading for mercy. I'm begging for mercy right now. I've got nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn. And they would hold on to the horns of those altar that they might live. And that very much seems to be what Adonijah is doing here because when word comes to King Solomon about what's taking place, the report to him is that Adonijah, as he's grasping onto these horns of the altar, says, Let King Solomon swear to me first that I'll not put his servant to death with the sword. So you can picture this. People are going to Adonijah and they're saying, Okay, what are you doing? You need to go bow before the true king. You better go make things right with Solomon. And Adonijah is holding on to this. He's saying, I'm not letting go until I know I'm going to receive mercy. And, and David, or excuse me, Solomon here, he shows him mercy. He, he allows him to live. Why? Well, it seems because Adonijah acknowledges Solomon as the true king. I mean, he refers to him as King Solomon. Not only that, when he comes before Solomon, he, he, he bows down before him. And so here Adonijah is saying, in essence, not only is he saying, Solomon, you're king. He's saying, Solomon, you're my king. Now, time will tell if that's a genuine confession or not. And so as we come to the end of 1 Kings chapter 1, we, we close with this, this picture of Solomon as king. And, and Solomon looks like a king, doesn't he? <laughs> I mean, he rides on the king's mule. He, he sits on the king's throne. He's likely wearing the king's crown, holding the king's scepter. I mean, he, he looks the part. He is the king. And the people embrace him as such, and they celebrate. But I think a question we need to ask is, is how do we respond when the king doesn't look like a king? I've been reminded of this a number of times as I've considered the story of King Faisal. I've shared this with some of you before. In 1947, Princess Elizabeth and the Duke of Edinburgh were married. And much like royal weddings still in our day, it was quite a spectacle. People came from neighboring countries, from all over the world, to, to witness this union. And, and there was this, this parade of the, the king and the queen that would go through London, and, and thousands of people would gather just to get a glimpse 
of the royal couple. In that crown was a 12-year-old named Faisal. He was the king of Iraq. But he wasn't dressed like a king. He was just dressed in, in his normal eastern garb and a robe. And, and he wasn't that interested, really, in seeing the royal couple. But he wanted to see the prancing horses <laughs> that led the parade. And so this 12-year-old king made his way through the crowd. He got to the front of the line so he could witness the horses. And, and the guards saw him approaching. And just seeing him as, as his 12-year-old street kid, they, they literally shoved him to the ground and said, Get out of the way. And the procession moved through. Later, they realized what they'd done. And the papers throughout the city of London ran this headline. We're sorry, King Faisal. We didn't know who you were. One of those papers said it this way, the incident would have never occurred had King Faisal been wearing a crown and carrying a scepter. Because he didn't look like a king. He was ignored. Solomon looks the part. But about a thousand years after Solomon, one would come who would not look the part. That the only crown he would wear would be a crown of thorns that Roman soldiers would put on his head. He wouldn't have a scepter in his hands, only nails that were placed there to hold him on the cross. And yet this king, King Jesus, he's the rightful king. He is the Lord's anointed. He is the one who rules for all eternity. And he is the one who was called out to us to follow him and to trust in him. The question this in each Lord's Day is, will we do that? Or will we simply turn our heads, smile, and just keep going the other way? Friends, I pray that's not what we do. I pray that we heed this call and that we trust in him because he is entirely worthy he is the rightful king, and he calls us to live our lives in obedience to him. And that is our call today, and so we invite you to respond to that call now. If you would stand together as I pray for us, and as we respond now to God's word. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your grace and your goodness we thank you that while we were still sinners, that you demonstrated your love toward us and that Christ died for us. We thank you, Lord, that even though we were all like sheep, we've all gone astray, we've all gone our own way, we thank you that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died in our place. We thank you, God, that you tell us that if we will pledge our allegiance to Jesus, if we will confess him as Lord, if we believe in our hearts that you indeed raised him from the dead, that you'll save us. And so, Father, I, I pray for that saving work this morning. And I pray, God, for those who've experienced that saving work, but perhaps are struggling this morning with going their own way. Perhaps even now are under conviction about sin in their lives. I pray, Lord, that they would not just hear your word, but that they would turn toward it that we would all repent and trust in Jesus this and every day. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, church, family, and guests, we're going to
respond now to God's word by singing about God's grace. And as we sing amazing grace, as we worship together, we invite you to respond. That response is one of worship. That response may also be one of confession and repentance. That response may be one where the Lord's leading you to come and, and confess Christ as Lord this morning to, to follow through in the next step of obedience and being baptized and, and joining this church fellowship. It may be that you just need someone to pray with you. I'd be honored to do that. Others would be as well. So we invite you to sing. We invite you to respond as we worship together now and sing Amazing Grace.